Hi, everyone. I'm Paul. I'm from Seattle. Food challenges me. It challenges me every day. Yet through OA, I found a proven workable method by which I can keep my food disorder in check and provided I work my OA recovery program daily. Just as I cannot stay clean by relying upon yesterday's shower, I cannot stay in recovery by relying on yesterday's uh, recovery program. Everything I say here today is my opinion and does not necessarily reflect OA as a whole. I'm grateful that your group has asked me to speak tonight because this opportunity reinforces my own recovery. And I'm going to go a little bit on and off script just to keep me on track. This is going to be a little bit of OA heresy, but OA fixed me. Fixed does not mean cured. Fixed means restored to functionality. I can get in and out of the tub now without falling back in the tub. I can get in and out of bed without falling on the floor. I can tie my shoes without having to sit down. And the list goes on and on. And for those of you there, you know what I mean. I'm now going to show you a photo of me at about 280 pounds, a photo taken about eight years before I came to OA, my first OA meeting on December 14th, 2016. At the time of my first meeting, I was about 320 pounds. So just add 40 pounds more on that belly. And um, I was four days short of my 65th birthday. And I had significant, significant health problems as a result of extreme obesity. And we'll talk about those later. And that's, that's the guy there. So you can see that. Um, I'm now going to show you of me a photo of me about three years in program, this which was the fall of 2019. By this time, I was wearing a pair of pants with a 31-inch waist, and certainly no longer wearing the 54-inch waist pants I'd been wearing at my highest weight. So getting pretty darn fit. So, um, but it wasn't easy, but it was simple. Um, according to the in-body scan at the Seattle Athletic Club taken not too long before the pandemic struck at the end of February, 2020, my fat burn off was 145 pounds and I had also put on 10 pounds of muscle weight. During the shelter at home period for the past two years, I have not been going to the gym and I have bounced up and down and weighed about 10 pounds. So I, even though I've not been going to the gym, I still had my lowest weight during the pandemic, but Right now I'm up about 10, but you know, it's under control and I'll be going, I'm, you know, I'm shooting back down now again. Um, so I've been maintaining out of any kind of obesity for three years. And that's a miracle for me. Someone who's been a yo-yo dieter his entire life. Um, for a long time, I thought I would never, ever be grateful for having been once extremely obese. Now I am grateful that I have incredibly strong legs from having carried so much weight for around 20 years. On the day the, the, before the COVID uh, death, first recorded death was, on the day before the first uh, COVID death was reported, it happened uh, just a few miles from where I was at a meeting. I leg pressed at the gym for 15 repetitions, 1,025 pounds. I'm grateful that the severity of my health challenges and other life problems as a result of extreme obesity ultimately caused me to wake up to taking action steps to better take care of myself. I'm grateful that I've learned not to climb up ladders anymore. And I am grateful that my experience with extreme obesity can benefit others. On December 13th, 2016, I had a physical examination with a doctor who had been my family physician for about 20 years. Every year he would tell me to exercise and to go on a diet. In response almost every time after that, usually on January 1st, um, I would take efforts to diet and exercise for a while until I failed. At this visit in 2016, 
he uh, seemed to act like I was a hopeless case and I was insulted by his attitude. After coming home, I did a search on the computer and uh, looking for weight loss organizations and I found Overeaters Anonymous. Um, I had recognized Overeaters Anonymous because I uh, was a Seattle Times paper boy and I, in 1965, I was delivery and I read the Dear Abby article and I saw it and I asked my mom about uh, whether I could, could, could join. And she said, that was not for you, Paul, that's for people adults that have, have uh, 100 pounds or more to lose. And so I was discouraged. But then the second article came out in 65. I saw that again. I asked her if I could join. She said, well, there's none in our area. Uh, because I was living at a remote uh, torpedo station in Keyport, Washington, which is across the water from Seattle, in a, you know, which was a you know, rural area. Um, so I, I called the contact person. And I spoke with her for about an hour. And uh, she talked to me a little bit about trigger foods. And I came to my first meeting and I had so much shame and self-loathing. I, I, I uh, hardly heard a, a, a word. It was like a Charlie Brown movie. Wah, wah, wah. But I heard, you know, this little bit, bits and pieces. And I shared that my trigger food was a certain food. I, I'm assuming you, you, this type of meeting, we don't mention food names. And after the meeting, someone came over to me and said, Paul, that was my trigger food too. And I had a hard time giving it up. Now I had swore I was going to do everything they said. And I was going to save myself. And yet I screamed out, I'm not doing this. I'm not giving up that food. And, um, and then I was plummeted into an extreme amount of shame as I left the meeting. And I got so angry with myself. And I, I call it the, uh, uh, the four C's. And it's, it's four C's for going on a spiritual quest to find a, your higher power. So I'd had a crisis that when I went to the doctor, you know, something that gave me pause. It's like, it's, a, it's not really a pit, it's an abyss. I hit a ledge. And so that ledge turned out not to be my bottom. I hit a further bottom when I failed at the meeting. And I finally got the next seat, clarity. I understood in my deep and with inside me that I was gonna die, die soon and die horribly. And there's nothing I could do about it. I couldn't change, you know, I just demonstrated that. and. Um, I started reciting every health issue and then, and then saying, but I can't give up that food item and striking myself. And so I, but I, I'd had a lower body aneurysm, which is fatal that eight years before, and that's fatal 90% of the time. So the upper body would be a stroke, lower body, it's, it's uh, pretty deadly. Um, and I was losing the ability to walk, um, you know, 65 years old with that kind of weight, it's not a good thing. And so I, I remember hobbling up and down the five steps in front of my office. And the lady across the street saw me and she came over and gave me the, the card for her surgeon to, to, for the phlebitis surgery. So she, it was readily apparent to anyone who saw me. And my right foot was completely numb, like a block of wood. And I was afraid they were going to start cutting off body parts. And I, I failed to tell my doctor that because I didn't want him even thinking about that, as if that was going to prevent the problem. And the edema every night, even with loose-fitting socks, looked like my legs looked like squeezed Play-Doh, um, severely squeezed Play-Doh. Um, and the list goes on and on. It caused, uh, fell asleep many times at the wheel, caused twice causing car accidents. Uh, the insults and indignities for being extremely obese uh, were coming rapidly. Um, uh, but in any event, I came home and I stood inside the doorway and I didn't know what to do with myself because I finally got clarity about my situation and I didn't know what to do. But I had bought two books at that meeting. One was the big book and the other was the OA 12 and 12 first edition. And the big book looked big. So I didn't read, didn't, it said I couldn't read that one. And so I, I sat down 
and I read the first three chapters to the OA 12 and 12. And at the end of the third step, if yeah, there was a third step promise. If we've truly taken the third step, we cannot fail to recover, cannot fail. And I just kept repeating that over and over again. I just have to do this one thing right and everything else will fall into place. And I got hope. And at that point, I did, that's, that's the third, what the third C was the colliding opportunity because I don't believe the teacher appears when the student's ready. I was ready lots of times and there was no teacher. So, I mean, you, if, if you're not ready, the teacher could show up and, and, and you may as well not be there because you have to be ready to do it. But, but yes, I've hit a lot of ledges on the way down. And uh, even at having an aneurysm didn't wake me up eight years before because um, I went into denial and, and diminished to how that severe the problem was. And the fourth uh, C, crisis, clarity, colliding opportunity, and commitment to spiritual solution. So I made a commitment that I was going to do whatever that meant. So the next day I woke up and uh, I had a, a newcomer packet and I looked in there and it talked about food plans. And so I got on and I looked up 200 diets because I didn't know the difference between a diet and a food plan. And so I started sorting it out with the pamphlet and I, and I narrowed it down. And I looked up for the best stuff and I picked the one that was in the top, you know, consistently in the top 10 and, and it was recommended most by diet. Uh, doctors. And ultimately, when I went on an obesity program three months into my OVA, uh, program, uh, I, my doctor approved that, that plan. So, so the obesity plan was once a week to the doctor for the first month, and then once every two weeks to the doctor for the next five months, and then once a month to the doctor uh, for the following six months it was a year-long program. And after a year, on the very last visit, I left obesity. Um, but what I did that next day was I got my food plan going and, and uh, I, I bought a gym membership the, the, the year before, but I never went. And I started going to the gym that day. I could barely walk hardly at all. And, and people came over, they, I put my hand down on the railing on the, on the, and people came over and asked me if I was dying and, uh, or, you know, if I was okay, if I needed assistance, medical assistance. But I told them, no, no, I was a fine. I just stuck with it. I kept coming back. Um, and then I came home and I, I typed to my computer, what is the religion that's going to make me skinny? Because I didn't have a religion or a higher power. And the computer came back and said, Buddhism is a religion that's going to make, or excuse me, Buddhism is the religion of moderation. And I said, frick it, I'm a Buddhist. And so I went off on a spiritual quest. I mean, seriously, and I was, I was willing. I was willing to do anything at that point. And I went to four different Buddhist churches, Nichiism, the chanting, Namio Rengakyo, Namio Rengakyo. And then I went to you know, the Chinese and the, and, the, and the Tibetan, which is like a thousand and one rules. And then I looked at the original Buddhism, which was a secular Buddhism. Uh, and, and there is a still a segment of that going on. Now, I didn't ultimately become Buddhism, but I, there were practices there looking at the greater good beyond my own needs. The principle of that pain will come at times, but suffering is always optional. Of course, Abraham Lincoln said that too. People are just about as happy as they make their minds up to be. Um, and so you know, having a higher power is not a requirement of program. It's an acquirement of program and I had to acquire it. And there's a, we have the, the Brown book, the, the Weave book, and it has one of the most important things to me in there on page 115, it talks about the race. And so I got absent the, the old fashioned way, white knuckling. And I replied upon Fred, fear, resentment, ego, and dishonesty. And that was from the old Lifeline articles. Like I was, I didn't know what, who Fred was. They kept talking about that. And I went to a retreat and they talked about, we must divorce ourselves from fear, resentments, selfishness, which is ego and dishonesty. And I screamed out, that's Fred. 
And I, and I, and that was true. That's, I, I could white knuckle it for a while, but the problem with the race is that type of absence always will ultimately fail. And so I, the race is to find my higher power before I lose my absence. And it took me about seven months and I, with a sponsor, I found my, my higher power. And then the third phase later was about two and a half years in program. And someone said to me, Paul, how often do you take a vacation from program? I didn't even understand the question at that point because I mean, he was asking me how often do I go off program? And at that point, I realized that those things that I wanted that I thought I was gonna deprive myself of, the real deprivation was not having a longer, healthier, happy and productive life. And that's what I wanted. And I realized that I had changed my, my childish ego, which had been battling my adult ego was growing up and I, and I, and I was and I was forming better habits. I had to act my way into a better way of thinking. Um, and that was really, really important. And I had to learn to hear my higher power. I had to distinguish that voice within, the one that uh, loves, accepts, favors, protects, and in step 11, guides and empowers to inform my free will. And I, um, and I had to, leave, so I had to learn to hear it, listen to it, and heed its words and guidance and empowerment. Um, I spent a lot of time in my early years reading uh, much of always literature as possible. I became a literature person for my uh, intergroup. I've read every edition of every book, and I've read, I've covered all lifelines back to 1965. But for 65 through 89, there's a lifeline sampler and mini sampler, which is the best of it. From then on, every issue uh, from 1994 I've read, except for five in the 1990s I haven't found yet. So if you can find them for me, that'd be great. Um, Service, it is often uh, said that doing esteemable acts helps one build one's self-esteem. And that was really important for me to do is get involved in service because I, I couldn't even speak at a meeting uh, until I lost the first hundred pounds and, and uh, people were after me for a while because I was losing quite a bit of weight. But I served at every level in OA, meeting group, intergroup, region and world. Um, and again, the service in the first year was so important because it gave me a way to build my self-esteem. People were counting on me and, and, uh, and I started to lose those feelings of shame and self-loathing. But where did I go to year two? Well, according to my gratitude sponsor, I went into self-pity because I, I, I thought I was staying on target. I was listening to all the things that were left I was working on. And she's like, okay, Paul, I've listened to you. I'm never going to do that again. I want you to send me a list of three things you're grateful for and to send it to me every day. Well, today is 1,337, I think, uh, days of doing a gratitude list every day. And they were right. You can't stay in self-pity if you're doing a gratitude list every day. And I'm very grateful for all that I have. And I'm very grateful for my gratitude sponsor for keeping me on track all these years. Meetings, since my first year in OA, I've been going to two or more meetings per day. Going to meetings helps me to get on board and stay on track, the train to happy destiny. And I, sponsorship, I don't believe in having a single sponsor. I believe in having a village of sponsors. I've, I've have had one or more sponsors uh, at every point in the OA, step sponsors, food sponsors, gratitude sponsors, service sponsors, uh, world service mentors, um, partners in recovery. I couldn't have done this on my own. And I, and I tried my whole life and I was 65 years old and, and, and uh, failing. So I, um, I'm very grateful for this program. I was struck absent at my first meeting, December 16, uh, you know, because of, I was so despondent about my fail at that meeting that night. But my concept of absence has greatly evolved over time. I've refrained from negative thinking. I refrained from putting myself down. 
I refrain from starting over. I refrain from perfectionism. I refrain from abusing myself with food. I refrain from ever even thinking about leaving away. I refrain from not experiencing abundance of the joys of life. And I refrain from not experiencing exuberances that can come from daily living. I refrain fully from certain foods and abstinence. I refrain partially from other foods, portion sizes. And I refrain partially or fully from certain food behaviors. I have enough. I do enough. I am enough every day in every way. I'm getting better and better. One of my favorites is nothing tastes as good as abstinence feels. And it's true. It really is true. I'm, I don't, I can't tell you what it's like. If I could sit next to my old me, I just, you know, it's, it's a, I'm just a different person. I'm so happy to be where I'm at. Around the time when I was starting my early recovery, I heard the advice of A.G. Ainsworth, uh, who I consider to be the principal founder of our present organization, OA Inc., which was founded in August 62 at the first OA World Service Business Conference in LA, at which time the Texas Food Club and the LA Food Club merged together. He became our first chair of our, of our, of our chair of board of trustees. And per AG, he said, if you don't know what you want, then you're not apt to get it. So I looked at my situation and I wanted much more than to lose a bunch of weight. I also wanted uh, my legs to cease being so painful every day, very painful. My veins to be more open to blood flow and to be stronger. My right foot to be no longer numb from, and for the parent nerve damage to heal. To not end up with loose skin as a result of uh, weight loss. To avoid uh, having another aneurysm. To be stronger. To have better balance. To have more stretchability. To have more cardio endurance. To not fall asleep while driving. To no longer be kicked out of movie theaters or restaurants for falling asleep. To be healthier in general. To live longer and be happier. To be a more, have a more productive life. To have better relationships with others. And all of these things happened for me. And I am so very, very grateful for that. Um, when we read our OA's invitation here, we say that the reasons for the illness are unimportant. Well, that's, that's, that's unimportant for getting started. And you'll hear people say, well, I'm a sugar addict. That knowledge is important. And I didn't know what was wrong with me. I know I'm not a food addict. I'm not a sugar addict. I'm not any kind of food addict, but yet I'm extremely compulsive. So. And I had to have a sponsor help me with my history. And I found, you know, I mean, we talked about things. My first conversation with my mom is, how do you know, when I was three years old, how do you know when to stop eating? And she said, um, Paul, just slow down. Your body will tell you. Well, that never worked. And so the, I, we went through the history. And, and there's two main reasons for my disorder. One is, is and it's an oddball thing. It's probably not going to be any, anyone's past, but. I have a mutation. I, I don't sleep but four to six hours a night, and it's normal. And that's true of some people, and there are studies on that. And, there, and, I, and all of all my siblings, I have four siblings, uh, none of them were like that, except my mom was like that. So I got that from my mom, and she got it from her dad. And his parents both came from the northern part of Sweden. And I think it's something for thousands of years living in that area where the seasons are shorter and the days are longer, that those who are more productive to, in those hours, long hours, uh, we're able to survive better. And so that's, but the difficulty is about 20 years ago, they discovered the hormone ghrelin is produced, the hunger hormone ghrelin is produced in the stomach during sleep. And so I can go to a meeting and I've eaten a big meal about a half hour before and my stomach can be growling so loudly that it can disrupt the meeting. So I know I've learned not to trust my hunger signals. And the, but this, I mean, this is something I could have maybe overcome, but what really was, the, was, was difficult for me was um, when I was born, my dad was stationed at the Pentagon and he was, uh, had been a war hero. And, and he uh, was at that time, Eisenhower's escort with the Pentagon and Eisenhower was gonna form this new thing, you know, lead this new thing called NATO. 
And so he asked my dad to join him. So we had to join him when my dad's tour was up at the Pentagon. And we went there and the, there was a program there. It was first instituted by Truman and then by Eisenhower when he became president. Uh, it's called the Clean Plate Program. And that was designed to uh, have US children of, of military personnel to finish the food on their plate. But it was really um, a clean the table program. Is that one timer? Five minutes. Okay, great. I'm gonna finish up right now. So um, I would eat my whatever's left of my sister's plate, whatever's in the mixing bowl, because we had a French maid in the house. And if they reported to the, the uh, newspapers that US personnel was wasting food with their children, there were 50 million people or so killed in, in, in uh, during World War II. And there were a lot of kids in orphanages and they were going to bed hungry. So it was applied uh, rigorously. So if I, I wasn't about to finish the food, then it would be no dessert. I had to have a client's clean plate, which meant licking the plate clean. And then uh, it would be, you can't leave the table. And then it would be, uh, you know, uh, disappointment. And then ultimately corporal, corporal punishment. And so I formed a really terrible bad habit for the rest of my life. And even to this day, only I think twice uh, that I've ever not cleaned my plate. And so I have to be careful about what I put on my plate and what goes on the table. Um, uh, let's see. I think I'm gonna wrap up there. Um, oh, I wanna bring up one other point. Um, this was me at the 2020, the, the OA birthday party. Now don't ever stand in front of uh, horizontal bars, like where it's like where, where I actually am actually thinner than that other picture in this picture, but it, it makes it look like I got a belly. But the reason I'm holding this up is not because of the muscle, although, you know, there, I hadn't worked out for weights for two days. It's not, a, it's like a, not like a most muscle weight pose, pose. But what I'm showing underneath, for a guy that lost 145 pounds of fat, there is no loose skin on my body. And so that is amazing. And I, uh, I went to uh, three different doctors. They all said that, you know, no, there's no way possible to do that. And that yeah, there was, you're going to have loose skin. And uh, then I looked at the doctors. One of them was my colonoscopy doctor. What the heck does he know? And then the other was uh, was a dermatologist, and he might know, but he was handing me his friend's card to, to do a surgery. And so there was a financial insert. And then the other was my doctor who was fed up with me. And I was at a retreat, and I heard someone say that the doctor's opinion that they only have synthetic knowledge of our problem, and we are uniquely qualified to help each other. So I, I went around and most people said, well, I never even bothered to think about it. I just wait and saw what I got. And I said, well, that's going to be too late. And so I, I talked to a fellow there and I found someone that had lost the weight. And I, I looked up what did in terms of what I ate, how I exercised, how I stretched, hot baths, and, and did all this stuff, extra, you know, extra collagen and elastin and powders. And I worked on it and built and I pushed the musculature out. So I was... Uh, at, Wherever the pandemic hit, I was uh, regularly bench pressing uh, like 160 was for clean set. And then I take it up to 225 uh, by 10 pound increments. And 225 is the NFL combine testing weight. And I do 20 reps coming halfway down. When the trainer came over and said, look, you're going to hurt yourself. You're not doing them right. And, uh, and you're going to have bad form. I looked at him. I said, look, I'm doing 20 reps. I'm not going to hurt myself. Second of all is I'm 68 years old. And I'm, I'm not trying to work out for any body competition or bodybuilding competition or weightlifting competition. I'm just trying not to have man boobs. And, he just, and then I took the weights up to 290 and I did three quick reps. Um, and he just shook his head and walked away. 
So I, I got very, very strong and very, very fit. And I'm so grateful that I took this problem seriously, but I could never have done it without this framework of OA. And that's all I got. Thanks.